Chapter 35 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 35 Nightingales. The sudden departure of Mr. Luke Sharp in the very marrow of his story left his good wife in a trying and altogether discontented state of mind. She knew that she could have no more particulars until he came back again, for Sharp had even less faith in the post than the post of that period deserved. She might have to wait for days and days with a double anxiety urging her. In the first place, although she felt nothing but pity for poor old Mrs. Fermitage, and would not have been really sorry to hear of anything likely to vex her, she could not help being desirous to know if there were any danger of a thing so sad. But her second anxiety was a great deal keener, being sharpened by the ever-moving grit of love, in the dreadful state of mind her son was in, how would all this act upon him? His father had been forced by some urgency of things to put on his box-coat and make off, without even time for a hurried whisper as to the residue of his tale. Mrs. Sharp felt that there might be something which her husband feared to spread before her, without plenty of time to lead up to it and having for many years been visited, whenever she was not quite herself, with poignant doubts whether Mr. Sharp was anchored upon scriptural principles, she almost persuaded herself for the moment that he meant to put up with the loss of the money. However, a little reflection sufficed to clear away this sadly awful cloud of skepticism, and to assure her that Mr. Sharp, however he might swerve in theory, would be orthodox enough in practice to follow the straight path towards the money, and then she began to think of nothing except her own beloved kit. The last hurried words of her husband had been, Not one word to kit, or you ruin all. Let him groan as he likes, only watch him closely. I shall be back by Saturday night. God bless you, my dear. Keep up your spirits. I have the whip hand of the lot of them. Herein lay her faith and hope. She never had known her husband fail when he really made up his mind to succeed, and therefore in the bottom of her heart she doubted the genuine loss of Grace Oglander. Sharp had discovered and traced to their end clues of the finest gossamer when his interest laid him to do so. That he should be baffled and own himself to be so was beyond her experience. Therefore, although as yet she had no more than a guess at her husband's schemes, she could not help fancying, after his words, that they might have to do with Grace Oglander. Before she had time to think out her thoughts, Christopher, their main subject, returned from Wytham Wood, after holding long rivalry of woe with nightingales. He still carried on, and well carried off, the style of love-lorn Romeo, he swung his cloak quite as well as could be expected of an Englishman who is born to hate fly-away apparel, all of which is womanish, but the necessities of his position had driven him now to a very short pipe. His favorite meerschaum had fallen into sorrow as terrible as his own. In a highly poetical moment he had sucked it so hard that the oil arose, and took him with a hot spot upon a white tongue, impregnated then with a sonnet, all sonnets are of the tongue and ear, but Kit misliked having his split up just when it was coming to the final nick. Therefore he gave his pipe a thump beyond such a pipe's endurance, 
and being as sensitive as himself, and of equally fine material, it simply refused to draw any more, as long as he breathed poetry. Still breathing poetry, he marched home, with the stump of a farthing clay, newly baked in the summertown road, to console him. Now if this young man had failed of one of the triple human combination, weed and clay and fire, where and how might he have ended not only that one evening, but all the rest of the evenings of his young life. His appearance and manner had first imported to any one whom he came across, and he truly did come across them in his wide and loose march out of Oxford City, that he might be sought for in a few hours' time, and only in the inferior portion found. His mother worried him. So did his father. So did all humanity, save one who worried him more than any, or all of it put together. The trees and the road and the singing of birds and the gladness of the green world worried him. Luckily for himself, he had bought a good box of German tinder, and from ash to ash his spirit glowed slowly into a more philosophic state. Gradually the beauty of the trees and hedges and the sloping fields began to seal around him, the warbled pleasure of the little birds made overture to his sympathy, and a lustrous calm of shadowed waters spread its picture through his mind. His body also responded to the influences of the time of the day, and the love of nature freshened into the natural love of cupboard. Hunger awoke in his system somewhere and spread sweet pictures in a tasteful part, for a moment of supreme agony he wrestled with the course of material instinct, then turned on his heel, as our novelists say, and made off for his father's kitchen. His poor mother caught him in the moment he came in and pulled off his hat and his opera cloak and frizzled up his curls for him. She seemed to think that he must have been for a journey of at least a hundred leagues, that the fault of his going was hers, and the virtue of his ever coming back was all his own. Then she looked at him slyly, and with some sadness, and yet a considerable touch of pride, by the light of a three-wicked cocoa candle, and feeling quite sure that she had him to herself, trembled at the boldness of the shot she made. Oh, Kit, why have you never told me? I have found it all out. You have fallen in love." Christopher Fermitage Sharp, Esquire, as he always entitled himself upon the collar of Spaniel or Terrier, had nothing to say for a moment, but softly withdrew to have his blush and shadow. Of all the world best he loved his mother, before or after somebody else, and his simple, unpractised, and uncored heart was shy of the job it was carrying on, Therefore he turned from his mother's face and her eager eyes and expectant arms. Come and tell me, my darling, she whispered, trying to get a good look at his reluctant eyes, and wholly oblivious of her promise to his father. I will not be angry at all, Kit, although you should never have left me to find it out in this way. There is nothing to find out, he answered, making a turn towards the kitchen stairs. I just want my supper if there is anything to eat. "'To eat, Kit, and I thought so much better of you. "'After all, I must have been quite wrong. "'What a shame to invent such stories.' "'You must have invented them yourself, dear mother,' "'said Kit with recovered bravery, 
Let me hear it all out when I have had my supper. I will go down this moment and see what there is, replied his mother eagerly. Is there anything now that can coax your appetite? Yes, mother, oysters will be over tomorrow. I should like two dozen, fried with butter, and a pound and a quarter of rump steak, cut thick and not overdone. You shall have them, my darling, in twenty minutes. Now be sure that you put your fur slippers on. I saw quite a fog coming over Port Meadow, as much as half an hour ago. This is the worst time of year to take cold. A May cold is a thirty-day cold. What a stoop I must be, she continued to herself, to imagine that the boy could be in love. I will take care not to say another word, or I might break my promise to his father. What a pity! He has a noble moustache coming, and only his mother to admire it. In spite of all disappointment, this good mother paid the warmest heed to the ordering, I and the cooking of the supper of her only child. A juicier steak never sat on a gridiron, fatter oysters never frizzled with the pure bubble of goodness. Kit sat up and made short work of all that came before him. Now, mother, what is it you want to say? His tone was not defiant, but nicely self-possessed, and softly rich with triumph of digestion, and a silver tankard of Morel's ale helped him to express himself. My dear boy, I have nothing to say except that you have lifted a great weight off my mind, a very great weight beyond description, my leaving behind you not even a trace of the existence of that fine rump steak. End of chapter 35